Good morning. If you have a Bible handy, would you be turning to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, and we'll get into our lesson there in just a moment. It is an absolutely awful day outside, of course, by the weather, uh, and even as we've said several times already, we're uh, going to be mindful of those in, in Middle Tennessee, many who may not even be able to meet this morning uh, because of the devastation or the loss of power. Uh, but it is awful even as we try to travel back and forth and we pray for safety uh, today. But also it is a wonderful and great inside kind of day to be together and to sing praises to God and to worship. And we're thankful you're here. We appreciate Jerry and Chase and Charles for leading us as they have this morning. And again, hope that you'll be a part of any and all of our activities uh, today. And, and once again, be safe as you, as you travel. Uh, some of you know the song lyrics that are on the screen uh, it's considered by many to be, I guess you would call, many call it a Christmas song. It's the beginning of it, at least, says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. You may be familiar that the lyrics go on to say, did you know that he would give sight to a blind man, that he would calm the storm with his hand, that he would be Lord of all creation, that he would one day rule the nations, that your sleeping child is the great I am. As you see on the screen there at the bottom, this song was written around 1984, actually, not published and music put to it, I believe, until 1991 by a man by the name of Mark Lowry. And the, he says in, in interviews and things that have gone on after he wrote this song, and again, after it's become more and more popular, it's one of those things that when you look at the dates, you think 1991, that wasn't that long ago. You think about other, what we call Christmas carols that have been, you know, for hundreds of years. It doesn't seem like it's that, that old. But he said in interviews after this, as people would ask him about writing these lyrics, that his idea, his concept was, what if you could sit down with a cup of coffee and you could sit down with Mary and you could ask these questions. And of course, as you go through the lyrics of the song, he doesn't actually give answers to the questions, right? He doesn't say for sure anything because we may not be able to know for sure. But as many of you have heard these lyrics before, it is certainly a thought-provoking song. As we think about the lyrics of this song and this kind of idea, it brings up for us and it highlights for us a, a common thing that often happens in our world today and, and in our society. And that is, is that we go to extremes, right? When we think about our politics, when we think about our fandom of our sports teams, when we think about a lot of different things, people usually live in the extremes. And it's hard to ever get to the middle, to some kind of understanding, because usually when you're on the extremes, you're shouting at one another, right, about how you're wrong and you're wrong, and it just kind of goes back and forth. One of those things that comes up very often is this idea, of course, of, of Christmas. We know from Scripture that biblically we have no authority to celebrate the birth of Jesus as a, a holy day, if you will, or a, as a holiday. And so when we look at certain different groups and we think about what goes on this time of year, some people promote Jesus' birth as if this is the one time of year that you celebrate this holy day. And we know that biblically we never see a mandate that we are to stop in the month of December or on December 25th or on any particular day or season and celebrate his birth as a holy day. In fact, the closest thing we have to a holy day is today, right? The first day of the week. 
to come together as Christians and to worship. And as Chase, again, did such a great job a few moments ago leading us as we partake in the Lord's Supper, as we think about his death. That's the closest we come to having this holy day. But we're talking about extremes, and on the extremes, the other side is that sometimes people say, well, we're not supposed to talk about that right now. Or when we sing songs such as we just did, Hark the Herald Angels or, or Joy to the World, or other songs, people say, well, you're not allowed to sing that. Don't sing that song because it's a Christmas song. And friends, I'm here to tell you that if it's a biblical song, we need to be singing that song. No, Holy Scripture doesn't ever detail for us a little drummer boy but there are some beautiful lyrics to songs and to think about when we think about joy to the world. Or again, as we've just sung to get together, heart, the herald angels sing. If they're biblical, then we need to be singing them because they encourage us to think about those. Do we want to go along with this kind of idea that it should be a, a holy season or a holy day when that's not in the Bible? No, but can we find the balance between these two extremes? Of course, as we think about extremes, another one is Mary. On one side, you have the what's really we would kind of call in general as Roman Catholicism being a major culprit on one extreme. We might say that Roman Catholicism and others tend to overesteem Mary, right? They tend to overesteem her and make things all about her and make things all about this particular excuse me, this particular moment. But on the other hand, as I heard my brother Chad Dolahite say in a sermon one time, sometimes we treat Mary as if she should be a part of the Lost in the Credits series that we do sometimes. Do you remember those? I know I did it here. I think it probably was back in 2018 and in 2019 that we took a look on some Sundays of people from the Bible that we consider lost in the credits. What does that mean? Well, as you think about those credits that scroll at the end of a movie, what do you usually do? Well, you get up and walk out, right? Or you stop the movie if you're streaming it and you don't pay attention. And there's a bunch of names in there, people who worked really hard, but they're lost in the credits, there are a lot of pages in this book, and when you read through it, there's people sometimes that get lost in the credits. And unfortunately, we should not over we should not overesteem Mary, as some groups do. But unfortunately, what we do is we treat her as somebody who's lost in the credits, and we never talk about her at all. But here's the point: if we could kind of try to sum that up, the point is that we should not give to Mary what only belongs to Jesus. Is anyone familiar here with the idea of the Immaculate Conception Doctrine? You ever heard of that discussed before? Uh, as a sports fan, for a long time, I only knew the name because of uh, Franco Harris and the 72 Steelers. That was the Immaculate Reception. But the Immaculate Conception is the doctrine, and it goes along with this idea of Jesus, that he is the Immaculate Conception. That's what people think. But that's not what it is. That's not what we call, that's not what they're referring to when they say the Immaculate Conception. What that really is, is it's theological gymnastics, is what it is. Because here's what they say. Well, they say Christ was born sinless, and Christ was sinless, but we, and by we I mean Roman Catholics, Catholics have this doctrine that they like to call inherited sin, right? That children are born in sin. So if Christ was born sinless, then Mary must have been sinless. So the Immaculate Conception actually deals with the idea that God let Mary be born sinless and kept her sinless so that she could deliver Jesus sinless. 
What gymnastic twists and turns are needed to teach something that is not even in the Bible? You see, we might call that an end around. You want inherited sin or you believe in inherited sin. And so to get there, you have to create this idea of the immaculate conception in order to think about Jesus being sinless. Mary was not a co-mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5 says that there is one God and one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. So she is not to be put on this level or over-esteemed in such a sense that we give to her the awe and the reverence and the praise that is due Jesus. But, one more time, on the other hand, as we think about extremes, I heard a preacher say one time that we sometimes treat Mary like a Christmas ornament. Right, We get her out one time of a year, and we talk about her during that time. And then when that season is gone, we put her back up like we do the Christmas ornaments, and we don't think about her again for, for many more months. No, we should not overesteem her and make her more the veneration of Mary that, again, Roman Catholicism usually gets into. But it should not be the case that we relegate her, if you will, to the loss in the credits or treat her like something that we only can get out one time a year. We can attempt to answer the question of the song that we began with this morning, but we also hope in the rest of this lesson to learn about Mary, the mother of Jesus, because she did play a crucial role in God's scheme of redemption. To begin this morning, we're going to look at very quickly at several things that we can know about Mary that we can think about as we think about Mary and the picture that is painted in Scripture. I said that we're going to go through them very quickly. One reason is because you'll see on the screen here the word, and notice it, likely. Some of what we're going to say in these five points are things that are likely. We may not know 100% for sure, but by all accounts or what we do have in Scripture and what we know of history, we can paint a picture to give us an idea of some things we can know about Mary. Number one, she was likely a teenager. Some even guess as far as 13 or 14 or maybe even 15 or 16. Thinking about that at home this week, I couldn't help but think about these first couple of rows and these young ladies whom we love and pray for that are that young to think about taking on what was about to happen to her. We don't know for sure, but we do know from history that this was the age when this would typically happen, somewhere maybe between the age of ages of 13 to 16. Number two, we might say, again, likely, that she was not wealthy. From every indication that we get in Scripture, this is the lot of Mary and Joseph. They don't have much. Now, again, we don't have a lot of detail in Scripture, but if you turn to Luke, you can turn over to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. And here we read the account of when Jesus has been circumcised and he is being presented in the temple. And when they do that, they are not able to bring the traditional sacrifice. So they bring what many call the poor man's sacrifice. Now, when we talk about theological gymnastics, I want you to understand, I don't want to go too far this morning. I cannot tell you for sure what their income tax statement said, but it seems likely that they were not very wealthy. Once again, I did, or it is on the screen here, but she was likely in love. She was likely looking forward to the wedding feast and celebrating with her friends. We know from Scripture, of course, both in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, 
that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, that that is sort of an engagement-type period, but it's stronger than that. In fact, if you wanted to break up or you wanted to not go through with the wedding when you were betrothed, you still needed a certificate of divorce, a written certificate of divorce. It was that kind of strong. But we know sort of from a general sense the idea that the, the families would come together. It wasn't necessarily a planned marriage in that they knew for a long time those two would end up. But it might have been that they had seen Mary and they knew that she was a devout Jew and she was a good person. And they might have gone to her father and said, you know, I have a son, Joseph, and we think we would like for them to be married. And they have to work out the dowry and the exchange of these things. And anyways, there's a lot there. But it's possible, highly possible that she was likely in love, looking forward to this wedding feast that was coming. They're betrothed. They're not there yet. They've not made it that far. It's a bit of a guess, but I couldn't help but think he's kind to her, right? At least as we see. He doesn't run to the town center and start crying out that she's pregnant and it's not mine. He wants to put her away privately or secretly as we see in scripture, but maybe he's being kind to her. She's respecting and careful of their vow to wait. That betrothal period also dealt with the purity of the woman. They would not consummate their marriage, of course, physically until the wedding ceremony was done. So they're being cautious of that. And it may be that while they were not starstruck, you know, lovers from a young age, that they they were in love and they were looking forward to this time. Kind of in connection, and you see the word likely taken out here, she was not mythical. Some people treat her as if she's some kind of mystic or mythical figure or character. You see the pictures. I kind of used one a few moments ago from the internet with the the Catholicism and the idea of a a ring or a halo around her head. People look at those and they might treat her as if she is mythical, something to be worshipped but someone that was not even real, which leads us, of course, to our last point, Mary was real. She was very much a real person. Can I suggest to you that she probably had doubts? That she probably had fears. We're going to come back to this in just a moment ago. But do you know what precedes Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1? This is kind of a pop quiz because hopefully you remember from earlier in the year. Do you remember what precedes it? 400 years of silence, right? The intertestamental period, 400 years of silence. There's no communication from God. And now I see an angel and an angel is telling me that I'm going to have a child, but yet I've not done those things to have a child she probably has doubts she certainly has fears again i heard one one preacher suggest that when it came to this idea of traveling to bethlehem for the tax right to, to be counted and to be taxed do you know that mary was not required to go right joseph's the only one that's required to go to bethlehem for this counting and this taxation mary is not she didn't have to But some people suggest, maybe by tradition, and again, Scripture doesn't say, but is it possible that she went with Joseph to get away from the gossip? That maybe there was people in town talking, right? Did you hear about Mary? Can you believe that of all the stories she came up with, she came up with this idea of being a a virgin and an angel speaking to her? Can you believe she would say that? The mocking, the doubts, the fears that she had, maybe she went with him because she was afraid and tired of those things. She wasn't forced to go, but she did go with him. One other thing that we do know, and it's not in this particular but section, but kind of maybe a 5B here, she also had faith. Luke chapter 1 in verse number 38, she makes what is 
Possibly we should elevate more as one of the greatest statements in Scripture when she says, let it be to me according to your word. What do we usually say? That's great, God. I mean, it seems like this is the way things are going, but, but I don't really want to do that. I don't want to submit. I don't want to give in to your will or do what you've told me to do. That's what we say, but she says, whatever it is, and again, with doubts and fears and struggles, you remember in Luke chapter 1 there in verse number 34, she's got questions. You're telling me that I'm going to have a child, but how can this be? This is not possible. But she says there, let it be to me according to your word. She had faith. She truly was a real person. Those are some things we know about Mary, but there's also something great that's included here in Luke chapter 1. In fact, I I thought about this lesson. I hadn't necessarily planned it a long time ago, but we are going to talk about Luke this afternoon in our Book of the Month Club. As we look at Luke, as I was thinking about things, this kind of popped into my mind. But later in Luke chapter 1, we see a song, if you will, and it's called the Magnificat, or Magnificat, that's what we call it today. And that has to do with the Latin phrase that is used here. Now, I've kind of decided last minute, but we're going to, there's a song that goes like this. We don't usually do this, but I, I want to lead this song and try to get you to, to sing along with me. I'm going to go to the first slide, but then Travis is going to take over and try to advance it for me here. Our young people, I think, know this, and maybe some of you adults, so I'll ask that you sing out. I just kind of decided last minute, so I didn't have time to ask Charles if he knew it or if he, he would. This is a song that goes, the sopranos will start, and then it will add the basses, and then it will go back and add the altos, ladies part, and then the tenor. So we'll sing it through four times as we add each part, and then there's a fifth time all together. And you'll see there's a, a red line at the bottom of the screen that will signify when we're at the end of the song. But I hope that you'll, you'll sing it, that you'll sing out if you know it. You'll try to pay attention to the lyrics. That's sort of the point of this, but I know it'll be a new song for many of you. Uh, But this is one that has become a little more popular based on the song of Mary here, and we're going to come back and talk about it in just a moment, but we'll try to sing it here together. So the Sopranos. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My Savior, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My glory be to God the Father and glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit, glory be to God, my glory be to God the Father, and glory be to God the Son, glory be to God the Spirit, glory be to God, my glory be to God the Father, and glory be to God the Son, glory be to God the Spirit, glory 
my soul magnifies be to God the Father and glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. Glory be to God. Amen. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1 again, and let's look at this together. I appreciate you doing that. It's a beautiful song. Our kids sing it a lot at PTP and other youth events they go to, and it's a, a great reminder of what's often called the Song of Mary. It's, it's titled, or we call it Magnificat, or Magnificat because of the Latin Vulgate. Uh, that's the Latin translation, of course, that was written by Jerome many, many years ago. And the first word of the Song of Mary is this idea of magnified, Latin for praise or to magnify. Three things that we would notice about this psalm. Number one, we would notice that we should magnify God for his salvation. I won't read the whole thing because we've sung a lot of it just now, but look in verses 46 through 48. She says, my soul magnifies, there's that word, the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced. He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. The first thing that she sings about is praise to God for her salvation. By the way, that's our greatest blessing, right? Do you remember later in Luke, in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 17? Luke 10 and verse 17, this is the section of scripture that we sometimes call the limited commission, right? At the end of Matthew and, and Mark and Luke, we get the great commission, go ye into all the world. But first, there's the limited commission. And in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 10, as the 70, 70, 70 come back, they tell Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But he says to them, don't rejoice that demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven a.k.a. salvation, our greatest blessing. We know in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 that it was planned before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it was in the eternal purpose of God that Jesus would come and we would have salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it was purchased at the greatest cost, at the blood of Jesus. We even think about Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, that he purchased the church with his own blood. I didn't make it a slide, but it's often been said, salvation is free, but it sure ain't cheap. Our salvation is free. It's available to all, but it is not cheap because it costs the blood of Jesus. It costs us his sacrifice. And again, earlier, as we thought about these things, it should be encouraging to us. As you look at this song of Mary in verses 46 through 55, she references so many Old Testament things. I was going to write down the books that she references the, to the Old Testament allusions, but this young lady knows her Bible, we might say, because she's able to reference these things. Not only should we magnify God as she does for our salvation, but number two, for our victory. Beginning in verse 49 and going through verse 54, and really the first part, 54a, we might say, we're going to come back to this in just a moment as we finish, but it does seem, it does seem that she knows something about her son being the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. God is bringing the victory 
And that's the key to this particular section. Notice there that he has done great things. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has put down the mighty. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry and the rich he has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel. God is bringing the victory. That's the key from this section of Mary's song. We know that as well from Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 26, where Paul writes that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, and that Jesus has already conquered death. Notice if you have your Bible open there to this section, that all of these verses begin with he. He has done great things. God has done the great things. The victory is only won through Jesus, but by the mercy and grace of God. And Mary is singing about that here. But then number three, the third part of this is God's covenant keeping, God's promises, if you will. Verse 54 in part B says, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Again, it seems that she knows something of her son's fulfillment of all of this because she is connecting this birth that's going to happen with God's covenant with Abraham. You know from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, the land promise and the the nation promise and the seed promise. She seems to be connecting these things. And the main point in this section is that God is faithful he keeps his promises he keeps his covenant that's the business that he's in although we would note it's not always on our timetable right second peter chapter three and verse number eight that idea of a thousand years with us and with the lord it's not always on our timetable but we also know from second peter chapter three and verse number nine that he is not slack concerning his promises he's not like you He's not like me. We fail on promises sometimes. Quite often, it's sometimes just by, by accident or, or by it's not possible. We can say that we're going to do something, but if we have a car wreck and we're in the hospital, we cannot fulfill that promise. We were not trying to lie, but we are human, and those things happen to us. God's not like that. Mary sings about magnifying God for his promises because he is faithful. And let me remind you again right here. There have been 400 years of silence. But now God is visibly active again. Just from Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 1, Gabriel, the angel, goes to visit Zacharias. He goes to visit Mary. Barren Elizabeth is now pregnant. A virgin shall have a child. The forerunner, John the baptizer, is going to go before Jesus. All of these things are God's promises that they can now visibly see because he is faithful. He is in the covenant-keeping business. And we learn that we should magnify God. We should magnify God because of his salvation, because of the victory, and because of the promises. I started off with this song, so I felt like I needed to come back around to it one more time. For just a moment, we can consider, Mary, did you know? Some people say, on one hand, she had to know. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and you know what we read? Somebody telling her, right? Gabriel told her, of course she had to know exactly what was taking place. 
But let me ask you to turn to one other passage in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. I will grant you that I think there is some evidence that she knew to some extent. But I would also submit that I think she had no idea. Yes, she was told. But do you know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23? Read the words in red. To his disciples, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they're sorrowful in the moment. Oh, they're sad. But just a few pages later, as he is actually betrayed and hung on the cross and killed and rises again, do you know what they think? Why is this happening? We've lost our Jesus. What are we going to do? I can imagine as a human, we would be frustrated. Weren't you listening? I just told you what was going to happen. And maybe this principle applies just a little bit to Mary. I think to some extent she knew. Gabriel told her. But I also think she maybe had no idea fully of what was going to happen. I don't know that she knew in looking at his hands and feet, rocking him to sleep, exactly what was going to come about. Because maybe she couldn't fully understand the entire picture. The disciples, even though Jesus said, I will be killed and I will be, I will be betrayed and killed and rise again, they still seem to be surprised and un, unsuspecting. Maybe you've been in that boat as someone has told you something before and then later when it happens and you're still shocked because you either weren't listening or you didn't catch it or weren't paying attention. I think she knew something, but it's hard to say that maybe she knew as fully as we paint the picture of in this song. I want to I conclude with, with these thoughts as we think about not only about Mary, but about the birth of Jesus, but really about Jesus' entire life. You know, I was listening in, in to some things in preparation for this, and, and one preacher said, you know, so many people want to focus on, as we say, baby Jesus, right, the birth of Jesus in these months and in this time. But do you know what the vast majority of the gospel accounts are made up of? Adult Jesus. And you know what adult Jesus is saying? He's saying, here's the things you need to do to be faithful. Here's how you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So for most of us, that's the difficult part. We don't want to think about that. We want to think about it when it's much easier. But when we think about God's idea here and God's plan, if man's greatest need was information, if all we needed was more information in this life, God would probably just have sent us an educator, right? We have many great educators that we love. He would have sent us an educator. If man's greatest need was technology, God could have just sent us a scientist. Someone who knows enough, who understands all the different things that go along with science. If we just simply needed more technology, he could have sent us a scientist. If man's greatest need was money, God would have sent an economist. If all we needed was to accumulate enough wealth that we could buy our way into heaven, there's someone that could help us figure that out. If man's greatest need was pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. Someone who could make us laugh, who could sing, who could dance, who could do all those things and make us feel good when we watch something and we enjoy that and it's pleasurable to us. But man's greatest need is salvation. So God sent a Savior. He sent that Savior by Mary. And there are a lot of things that we need to know and understand about her. We think about the great passage, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those who are under the law. 
We're thankful for Mary and her example and what she did, even if we don't know the full extent of what she knew or didn't know. We're thankful that God saw fit to fulfill his promises. One thing we didn't have time to do this morning was to go back and read the book of Isaiah and how many wonderful pictures and prophecies there are of Jesus coming in the book of Isaiah. God's in the covenant-keeping business in the same way that he's told us what we need to do to be obedient to him, to obtain salvation. He's told us, living under the new covenant, under the new law, exactly what one must do. So it's worth our time and effort, each first day of the week especially, to put something like this on the screen to help us understand what one needs to do to be saved. And we're thankful to God for sending his only begotten son, that his blood could wash away our sins, that just as we can confess Jesus as Lord, we are then ready to be baptized for the remission of our sins, and the Lord will add us to his church. We know that that's not the end of it. We must continue to live faithfully. As many in this room can attest to, it's difficult. The world gets us down, things get in the way, and sin separates us from God. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God and you need forgiveness of sin, we seem to encourage you as well that you would not delay, that you would make that known in such a way that we can pray with you and for you. Whether you need to become a Christian or come back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you even now as we stand together and as we sing.